The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. And Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, your standardizations and safety checks, or just your annual FAA refresher. They are ready to help your agency keep up to date and current with techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing. They have certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, all of them offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has also partnered with Petzl to assist with PPE inspection courses and the highly specific Lizard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation that manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which I personally absolutely love as a rescue swimmer, my favorite harness, to the rescue baskets and litters, and of course, the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, sews, wells, and machines these products into existence every day. Contact them today at lifesavingsystems.com or follow them on Instagram at rescue gear that's at r-e-s-q-g-e-a-r when you send a message to these guys you just add in there quinny sent me and they got your back so much fun with our next guest man i'm super psyched law enforcement firefighting search and rescue he's a pilot he's a hoist operator he's not afraid to ride the hook the guy is solid all the way around. Been doing this for 30 years. And he took time out of his day to come talk to us. I am psyched. He is so much fun to be around. Such a positive guy. I love it. So from San Diego's Aviation Division, Mr. Tony Weber. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for joining me at The Real Rescue Podcast. I'd like to introduce our next guest, Corporal Tony Weber of the San Diego Aviation Division. What's up, Mr. Tony? How are you today? Hey, good morning. Well, at least it's uh, morning over here in San Diego. Uh, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast and uh, looking forward to having a little fun with you. Dude, I'm, I'm stoked you're here, man. This is this is great. A uh, little background between Tony and I is we, we met through our last company and then we've got to train together. And um, man, we there's a lot of things that you do uh, I know we said San Diego Aviation Division and Corporal, but you're sheriff, so you're law enforcement all day, aren't you? Uh, this is, uh, yep, I'm part of the one of the largest law enforcement uh, agencies in Southern California, and uh, obviously we're located here uh, in San Diego. 
Um, and it's a pretty large unit. We got everything from uh, law enforcement aircraft all the way up to fire and rescue aircraft. So uh, never a dull moment here in San Diego. <laughs> which is which is kind of cool uh, because most places that I've been to, you're either one or the other. And, and even we'll say um, like law enforcement, a lot of law enforcement, they do search and rescue stuff. But I haven't seen too many places where you're law enforcement one day and then all of a sudden you're kicking a belly tank on the bottom of the aircraft and you're going to fight fires with the firefighters. I don't see that very often. So, I mean, in your experience, have you, do you see that a lot? Yeah. Well, uh, people that are, are not familiar with the uh, West coast and uh, specifically Southern California, uh, if you've watched any of the national news, you'll know that uh, fires and firefighting is a way of life for us. Yeah. Uh, this year in San Diego, our fire season went year round. It never stopped. It's still going right now. So we went 365 this year. So you should probably get uh, to work done. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. kidding. <laughs> yeah. Here I am uh, messing around with you. I should be on fires. Jesus, but, uh, <laughs> most, most of the Southern California large uh, sheriff's departments are also tasked not only with law enforcement, we're tasked with firefighting and uh, search and rescue. Um, so San Diego, uh, LA County Sheriff, Ventura County Sheriff all have uh, law enforcement. And then they have separate helicopters like we do that are specifically assigned to firefight, aerial firefighting and uh, hoist rescue. So it's not uncommon in this part of uh, California to have that. Man, that is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a good time. I'll tell you, I started off. Uh, we have two sides of the house for San Diego Sheriff. You have your uh, law enforcement uh, helicopters, which in our case are uh, new Bell 407 GXIs. Nice. And then on the fire rescue side, which I'm assigned to, uh, they're Bell 205 Super Hueys. And they've got uh, the Simplex belly tanks for them for fighting fires. Yep. And then they've got the good, rich uh, internal hoist on them also. So that's nice. how we're outfitted on the uh, 205s. Man, that's that's killer. I, whew, that's awesome. Well, uh, if you don't mind, if, if, if you could just introduce a little bit more of yourself, tell everybody where you're from, kind of what we do and or what you do. And then uh, and then I'm going to ask you a little bit just about your history. And then I would love to hear about your first rescue. Sure. Well, uh, I was born and raised here in San Diego, California. Been here, well, I'm going to give away my age here, uh, 59 <laughs> years. Uh, whoa, whoa, a, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah. Well, let's <laughs> thro throttle that back a little bit, you old man. <laughs> so I've uh, been in San Diego here my whole life. It's a great community. Uh, lived in various places here in San Diego, moved around a little bit, uh, got into law enforcement, got hired on to the San Diego Sheriff's Department and not all the way back in 1983. I've, I've been in law enforcement for 37 years and out of that 37, I've been uh, in the air unit for 30. So for our uh, helicopter squad, I'm definitely the senior pilot and the old man, but- uh, <laughs> The albatross. You know, yeah, the only reason I'm still there is I still enjoy flying and uh, I have a passion for the uh, aerial firefighting and the, uh, the hoist rescue. So I want to tell it's not fun anymore. I'm going to keep flying. Yes, me too. 
I like that. <laughs> Good for you. Yep, you youngster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold on to this for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Hey, hang but, on uh, to it and have fun as long as you can. Hell yes. Um, now, one of, a, one of the bonuses about you, and, and I learned this after I had been kind of working with you for a little while, is you are also a hoist operator, which most people probably don't even know. Correct. So not yeah. only are you up front flying the aircraft as a pilot, you're also in the back as an air crewman doing hoisting. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of pilots and a lot of the units, and I figure out, uh, you know, from those conversations that I'm pretty lucky that my unit back in the day when we first got into hoist rescue, I went to the, uh, the rescue school, went through the instructor's course for hoist rescue, and they still allow me to not only uh, fly, but also to instruct in the back and still occasionally get back there and run the hoist. So it gives you as the pilot a very unique perspective on when I'm up there flying and we're on an actual hoist rescue, I know exactly what they're doing in the back. Yeah. When they're con conning me to move the aircraft, I know what they want. I know the lingo and I'll tell you front and back, it goes seamlessly when you have that kind of uh, background. So it works out really good. Yeah, that is that is pretty awesome. It's a very unique aspect. I've only seen in a couple areas, um, customs and border protection, those guys, you know, yeah. more than the front and the back. And then a little bit of the DEA, those guys run front and back, but those are about it. Uh, there's not yeah. too many other people that I see that fly the helicopter and can run the hoist in the back. So, man, that, that's pretty awesome, so. Yeah, it is fun getting out of the pilot seat sometimes during, uh, you know, hoist training. And if you don't get back there and run the hoist, you're putting the harness on or, you know, you're going for a couple of ups and downs. Yeah. And it's just, it's nice. I always have this thought process that, you know, I'm 90% of the time I'm in the pilot seat. And then you have this time that you're getting picked up on the ground and you're coming up and you, you see the belly of the helicopter <laughs> that you're usually flying. And it's just, a real interesting <laughs> concept sometimes like what am i doing what am i doing under the helicopter i should be flying yeah, this, it, so. isn't, this isn't normal yeah. this isn't normal it this gets, isn't normal <laughs> i know it gets pretty funny and you have this epiphany like what am i doing but it's a it's a lot of fun as you know oh my gosh i love it so yeah. you've been how long you've um uh, not how long what when you got into search and rescue or into the the police department and stuff and you started flying what was your very first SAR case? Like, what was the first rescue you were able to go do? Well, when I first got into the aviation unit, you know, we got into it and we started out way back in the day with Bell 47s. And then we moved into the uh, MD products. And then uh, I was getting trained and transitioned into, into the MD 530F, which was a really capable, smaller helicopter for those that aren't uh, familiar with it. Um, so this is all we had was the uh, smaller helicopters and we didn't have hoist, we didn't have the medium helicopter. So we did tow-ins, one skids and short haul uh, to do our rescue business. Um, so I remember my first SAR case, uh, I was still technically towards the end of my training. Uh, I was flying with a unit legend by the name of Archie Trot, probably one of the best guys that you could ever learn to fly from. I mean, he's that kind of guy. Been there, done that. Everybody knew him, had a great reputation as a pilot. 
we get called out to a local mountain area in San Diego called El Capitan Mountain. And there was, it started out as a search. Hey, there's a rock climber and it's a very sheer face up on this El Cajon Mountain where all the rock climbers free climb. Uh, and, the, and the call was to go check the face of El Cap. There was a uh, rock climber that was uh, stranded. He couldn't go up anymore. He couldn't go down. So we get out there. I'm flying. My my uh, flight instructor, Archie, is on, uh, you know, next to me. And we finally spot this guy. And he's up on a face. And uh, he's at the 2,400-foot level, you know, ground up, 2,400 feet up. Oh, my God. We see him. And there's a little shelf next to him, not much of a shelf, but enough to get a skid on. And we're talking about how we're going to get this guy off. At that point, we weren't even doing short haul. So long story short, we're doing an orbit uh, and looking at this guy, trying to figure out how to get him off. And uh, Archie says, I think we have enough room to get uh, the right skid in there and we'll uh, get him in the back seat." And I said, oh, Okay, that sounds good. You're the man. <laughs> Are we going to go down to the park down below and switch out? And this is where uh, it, things got a little exciting for me. He looks over at me and goes, no, you're ready. You're going to do it. I'm going to help him in the back. And so that's how it started. <laughs> Thrown and right to so the we, blades. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, oh, my God. Dude, this is this is potentially, not potentially, it is my first rescue ever in the unit. So we, we, we brief it and I'm supposed feet up to, on a little ledge. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. And so <laughs> trust me when he said I was doing it and we got done briefing it. Uh, I was, I was happy. He had that kind of confidence in me. Yeah. And he says, Hey, we get close, you know, and this, this becomes too much for you. Hey, we're going down to the park and we're switching out. I said, okay, I have an out. That's great. Cool. So we briefed it and I started slowly uh, getting the helicopter close. And there was a little shelf just for the right skid. And I walked it in there and it ended up being uh, two feet of blade clearance. And what really floored me was, is I, I got that skid down and he actually leaned out of his seat and put one foot on the skid. We had the back doors off. Yeah. Grabs the guy on by the arm. He walks him on the skid, gets in the back, and we back away and go down to the park. And I got to tell you, for my first rescue, it was uh, it was pretty nerve wracking. But <laughs> we were pretty old school back in the day, you know, when we were uh, with the 500s and no rescue, real rescue aircraft. And uh, that's just how we did things back then. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my first one. It was pretty Dude, exciting. that's sick. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it will always be uh, a vivid memory. And, you know, you know, flying with Archie Trot and doing my first rescue. And it was a one skid on the side of a cliff face. So yeah, yeah good times. That's, that's, that's awesome. Hey, you got this. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I'm just glad he gave me a, an out in case I got close and went, oh, man, I can't do this, which, you know, could have happened. So, yeah, totally. At least God. it was there. Man, that's oh, that's incredible. Yeah, that yeah, was a good time. And you've had uh, quite a few, uh, quite a few other things that have happened 
in your career overall, especially with San Diego, because you get to do both, you know, rescue, fire. Uh, I want to touch on one of the incidents that you sent me. Um, and I'm like, wow, this, this is crazy. And that is that uh, you had to do like a insert guys on top of a skyscraper uh, because of an active gunman. Um, basically, there was an article that was posted by uh, AP News back in 2001, April 11, 2001, says four die in a senior center shooting. Um, gunman opened fire at apartment building for low-income senior citizens Wednesday, killing three people before taking his own life, police said. And you guys, basically, it says at the very bottom of the article, uh, no, maybe it doesn't stand by. I thought it said something about what? like helicopter came in and yeah, that, that was on another article, but uh, the one you're referring to, you're, yep. you're correct. And in 30 years of flying, the things that we have ran into in San Diego, the type of the various type of calls, we got everything from border activity on the Mexican border, firefighting, hoist rescue, law enforcement, vehicle pursuit, you name it, we got it here. And on that particular incident that you're talking about, it's a uh, neighboring city called Chula Vista. And they have their own police force, but it's a smaller city. And they would always use us for our, uh, we have a full-time SWAT team. We always have. It's a full-time SWAT team with all the equipment. Yep. We have the aircraft. Uh, so in that particular case, there was a gunman uh, running around that senior center. And it was a 16-story high uh, building. And they called our SWAT team and our air unit in to uh, help up, help them out. Um, they had no idea where the guy was in the building. He had actually shot out one of the up, upper windows down at one of their patrolmen in the parking lot. And it was Holy one cow. of those uh, active shooters uh, scenario nightmares because you had such a tall building with hundreds of rooms. They had no idea where he was at. Oh, geez. So, Long story short, our uh, SWAT team was a couple blocks away in a schoolyard, you know, with some uh, polo, some uh, soccer field. So they were out there. They called us in. And at the time, we still only had the uh, 530Fs. We had several of them. And me and one other pilot flew two 530Fs into the uh, schoolyard, sat down. We briefed. And the, uh, the plan was for us to take two SWAT guys at a time. I had already reconned the top of the building and it had all the uh, radio telecommunications, the wires, the poles. There was no landing pad up there. So our plan was to come in on the side of the building where there were no windows. So we obviously didn't get shot at. Yep. And the gunman, gunman wouldn't know we were coming in. So we loaded up fully kitted uh, SWAT guys, two at a time in the back, all doors are off. And we went up to the edge of the 16-story building, and all we could get was about a foot of our front skids on the edge of the building. Oh, my gosh. And two at a time, the SWAT guys came up the sides, jumped onto the building, departed back to the schoolyard, two more guys, and we did it until we got all 18 guys on top of the building, and they uh, breached the door up there. And, uh, you know, SWAT guys, they want the high ground, so they cleared yeah. from the top to the bottom. Uh, long story short, they finally found the guy. He had uh, shot himself. But uh, yeah, that call right there uh, really 
uh, was an interesting one. You know, when you start thinking about your 30 year career and all the yeah. fun things that you've gotten to do, that one definitely sticks out. And unbeknownst to the, us, our command put us in, uh, at the time it was ALEA, Airborne Law Enforcement oh, Association. Yeah. Yep. And they, you know, they uh, put us in for uh, Air Crew of the Year and uh, we won it that year. So hey, was, well uh, done. That year turned out to be a very exciting year for us. So uh, in a nutshell, that's how that SWAT call went down. Oh, that's incredible. Well done, sir. Man, your whole yeah, team, yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and, 18 you know, guys. Eight, gosh. And you know, like, I, I'm thinking about it like an air crewman uh, or even a guy that, that gets in and out of the helicopter quite often. You're talking, let's see, one foot. So not very big. And I have to, let's see, step out on the skid, look 16, 16 stories, stories down. 16 stories with, uh, with the, all the news cameras pointed up at you. Yeah. Uh, don't fall. Don't fall. Don't fall. No. <laughs> don't look down. Don't look down. Yeah, Man, that, you, you think about awesome. it, you know, we that's how we did business when we, you know, you make do with the equipment that you have. Right. You know, totally. we fast fast forward to today in the 205s, we have fast rope capability and all our SWAT guys are trained in fast rope. If we had that same call today, yeah. we're coming up over the top of that building, fast rope gets deployed and our guys get, you know, on the on yeah. the top of the building that way. So yeah. you uh you progress as you go along as you're in an area in it. And, you know, we're very lucky that we keep getting better and better equipment to uh, fit our mission. Man, that is awesome. Gosh. Yeah, it was a, uh, you know it was what? A, it was a fun day. Yeah, that's killer. And it's great to hear that, uh, you know, that, that not only are you guys progressing, but the city's helping progress you guys forward with all the latest and greatest equipment and technology. Absolutely. Because We're very lucky. That's awesome. So good job there, San Diego. Woo! All right. Well, Raise I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now I, I want to get into one of your rescues, which coincides with fire as well, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and that was, so 2007, 2007, seven, seven, let me double check. Yeah, it was October 2007. I know where you're going with that one. Yep, the Harris Fire, which yeah. um, according to some of the news articles that I read on this, right here, more than 6,000 firefighters fought to control the blaze. And estimated, uh, it is estimated the fires burned 13% of the county's total landmass or 369,000 acres destroyed 1,600 homes and hundreds of other, other structures, which cost $1.5 billion in damage. That's, that's a big fire. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, for the listeners that hear this podcast, if, again, I'll go back to Southern California. If you're, if you're not familiar with uh, firefighting, uh, we have something uh, called here that happens several times a year. It's called Santa Ana winds. Mostly here in San Diego, the winds blow from west to east. And during Santa Ana conditions, they come out of the desert and they go uh, east to west. And this is uh, usually during Santa Ana conditions, which is wind-driven fires. Those are some of our worst fires ever here in San Diego. And the Harris Fire uh, happened to be one of them. On that particular day, uh, a fire started out in an area called Petrero. It's just inland San Diego. We always have a lot of brush. It's always dry. We rarely get any rain here. 
and the Santa Ana winds are blowing uh, anywhere to 40 to 60 knots. That's fast. Oh, wow. Um, once the fire torched off in Petrero, me and my partner, and we're now in the Bell 205s, the Super Hueys, belly tanks, and we have Helitech crews on board. Uh, my partner and I were the first two on scene in Petrero. So we got the initial attack call for the fire, went out there with our crews. Uh, going out to the fire, we could already see the smoke. And we are battling uh, 50 to 55 knot winds going out there. So we're getting tossed pretty bad. Yeah. And just to give you an idea, we have Cal Fire aircraft here in San Diego, too. And they're the uh, fixed wing bombers that uh, drop the red retardant. Uh, they couldn't even uh, come out that day because their wind cut off because they get low level two to drop this retardant. Yeah. Their wind, their wind cutoff is about 40 to 45 knots. So they were grounded. Oh, so man. it was at the beginning, it was just a two helicopter show. It was just two of our uh, firefighting aircraft from uh, San Diego Sheriff. So we get out there, we get on the fire and it is moving like a freight train. It is being wind driven and it is moving fast, already coming up on uh, structures in Petrero. So just to give you an idea of what the uh, conditions were, uh, we got our crews on the ground uh, around the structures in Petrero, our Helitac crews. Uh, they dropped our snorkel for the tank and we went to try and get our first tank of water and we could barely hold a hover over the water to keep the snorkel in the water. We're getting tossed. Wow. We did manage to get some water on both, both of our first water drops. The wind is blowing so hard. The uh, water departs the simplex tank and goes yep. straight back towards the tail rotor. So we just found out right then and there, we can't even drop water. When the wind Holy gets God. that, so now we're not even dropping water. We get get the copters back on the ground, tie the snorkels up, and all we're doing is staying airborne, trying to keep an eye on our crews on the ground. And our crews aren't even really firefighting. They're going from house to house trying to get people out because uh, within an hour of being on that fire, we're already having houses taken out. Holy being cow. burned. Yeah. So we have basically no air assets because of the wind. We can't have the, uh, the fixed wing out there. But the whole world is showing up on the ground. All the uh, firefighters are coming on scene. So I'm going to fast forward here a little bit. So about an hour or two into the fire, we're just an aerial platform. We can't even drop water anymore. We're just keeping an eye on our guys, telling the uh, fire crews on the ground where the fire is moving, where the hot spots are, when it's about to hit a house. And they're do just working on structure protection and doing evacuations. That's how fast it's uh, moving. So I remember about an hour or two into it, I saw the uh, Cal Fire has these what's called crew buses and they're bright red uh, rigs, four wheel drive, and they have uh, basically a box on the back and that's where all their uh, firefighting crews are. Okay. And I remember this one came from a different part of the county and I saw it from the air and it was a brand new crew bus still shining it was glistening it was a, hasn't it was been in the smoke awesome. yet yeah it hasn't even been in, hasn't even gotten dirty yet but i remember that one going into the fire about two hours in uh so everybody's showing up on this fire you hear all the traffic there's still only two helicopters at the time 
And then finally, a third uh, contract ship shows up from Ramona. It was a uh, it was a forestry uh, call when needed helicopter. So now we have three. Okay. So about three hours into the fire, and you never want to hear this over the air. I've heard it more than once. That crew bus that I saw earlier in the day got sent into the interior of the fire to try and get some people off a property that didn't want to leave. They wanted to, you know, help do tr structure protection on their house. So they went in there to try and help them and get them out. So long story short, uh, over the air, we hear that crew bust uh, captain put out over the air that they are getting burned over, which means the fire is coming over them. Yeah. And they have these things called fire shelters. It's like these aluminum bags that they get on the ground and they just pull it over them like a cocoon. Yep. And they said, hey, we're getting burned over and we're deploying fire shelters. Anytime you hear that. Holy cow. That's the worst case scenario. And you got to, by this time on the fire, the visibility has gone down to nothing into the interior of the fire. You can't see anything. So the uh, incident commander, uh, you know, telling everybody to hold uh, traffic. We got a crew burnover. Uh, you can hear some of them yelling and then it goes silent. We're hearing oh. silence in the helicopter. So it's never anything you want to hear. It is. It is gut wrenching because you know the worst case scenario is happening. You know some of your guys on the ground are getting burned over. Oh my um, god! So we don't hear anything for gosh thirty minutes after that, <clears throat> and then the uh, incident commander comes on, and he asks for either one or two of the helicopters to volunteer to try and get into the interior of the fire to see if they're okay and or do a rescue. So the call when needed forestry helicopter and myself, I talked to my uh, fire captain that's up front with me. Uh, I never volunteer for anything that might be dangerous unless I get a mutual buy-in from my partner. Right. You know, his, his butt yeah. is just as much on the line as yeah. mine. We have a chat. He goes, no, let's do it. If we can get in there, let's see if we can help them. That's awesome. Crew mentality so the all the way around. Yeah. That's fantastic. So there's, so much smoke it's down to less than a quarter of a mile visibility in the smoke and we have high tension power lines oh god so we decided that uh, we'd go in one at a time so we don't occupy the same airspace and have a midair yep so the forestry copter went in first he landed he said he has uh, found a couple of the fire crewmen burned he was loading them and he was taking them to Mercier outside of the fire line. There was two Mercier helicopters waiting. They were able to get on the ground in a flat area. He had some uh, burnt firefighters. He, he says he's clearing the other, and then it was my turn to go in. And we're basically doing about a, a 75 to 100 foot hover taxi over the power lines and through the smoke, just basically following a road in to wow. where we thought they were. So it took me about 10, 15 minutes to get to where I, uh, they were at. Yeah. And, and I came through the smoke and got low level. And this is what hit me the hardest is that crew bus that I saw earlier in the day that was brand new. Yeah. I landed next to it. It's burnt. The windows are blown out. Some of the wheels are melted. Wow. And 
it looked like uh, something out of apocalypse now. And as I'm landing, I'm not seeing anybody. I see the crew bus. I'm blowing their crew shelters that they use to cover themselves. It was uh, basically it was the scene out of a horror flick and we're landing. Oh, and I could see the house that they went in to try and get the people out. So anyways, I'm looking for any leftover firefighters. and I'm supposed to find the homeowner that they originally went in there for. So long story short, I get on the ground to help with the what we think is the second part of the rescue. All the firefighters got picked up by the first helicopter. My partner gets out and is looking for uh, the landowner, the owner of the house and his son okay. and any other firefighters. I don't know at this point if the first helicopter got all the firefighters. I found out later he did. Okay. But my partner is out looking for the homeowner. The house is burnt to the ground. We never found him and we lift and depart. Come to find out that uh, that uh, homeowner perished. He somewhere in the house. So wow. it was one of those crazy calls during one of our, uh, you know, Santa Ana wind, wind driven fires. And, uh, you know, anytime you have a crew burnover and you hear it come out over the air, it is it's a showstopper and it's gut wrenching. Um, so just to add one more uh part of this story about five years later, we we're back at uh, our air base and we're in partnership with Cal fire. We have, it's called Gillespie hell attack. Okay. We own and operate the fire aircraft. We pilot them and they provide the fire crews. And each year we take in new really young hell attack crew members. They try out for hell attack, you know, riding on the helicopter, getting yep. deployed nice. onto the fires. And one of the kids that year was on that fire and he got burned over and he's now trying out for our hell attack. He was one of the kids that got pulled oh, out of that burnover. Badass. So, yeah, That's so awesome. You're good for him. Being, yeah, and he ended up being part of our hell attack crew. And uh, he had basically burns on the backside of his body when he was in the fire shelter. It saved his life. See, so he still got burns. Yeah, but uh, he was uh, there to try out for our hell attack crew four to five years later. How how crazy is that? That's awesome, man! Yeah. That, oh wow! Now, all right, out of curiosity, I want to make sure I have my numbers right. Um, the helicopter that went in prior to picked up how many guys? All the firefighters. Oh, every gosh. one of them. So every I one think of those he loaded up like six or seven people. I mean he. That was, a, over, that was a whole crew? Everybody lived? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, but they man, were that's all... That's awesome. Some of them were severely burned, but yeah. uh, he got them all out. And uh, I was going in second. To, third. I didn't know he got them all. The, the right. communication wasn't clear on that, but I knew I was going in to look for the homeowner and he had perished in the fire. So, yeah, yeah. crazy, crazy uh, situation during that uh, that Harris fire. And that was day one. That went for two weeks, homes getting burned, people getting uh, killed in their homes that stayed behind. It was probably one of our worst firestorms uh, ever in, uh, in San Diego. Holy cow. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, geez. Well, thanks for sharing that, man. That's, oof. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's all kinds of, you know, in a 30-year career, you have <laughs> definite rescues or incidents that will always you know stick in your mind and uh -huh. that, that that will always be one of them yeah 
Yeah, I'm at 20 years and I've got one or two that stand out. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. sure you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, wow, Tony, man, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing those those stories. Yeah. Um, right now, I, I want to turn the floor over to you and, and really for any of the listeners that, you know, either A, how to get into it, gear, training, recommendations, tips and tricks, whatever you want to tell everybody. Like, I, I, I can't find another better person right now to, yeah. to tell somebody who's got 30 years experience. Heck yeah. Well, what I have found, you know, one area I'll touch on is, and I think it's universal for what you do on the rescue side that you're on. Yours is a little different flavor than law enforcement, but yep. hoist rescue in general, it could be short haul, um, is I always like to touch on with my guys. Uh, you know, there's a big difference between being current and being proficient. Fact. And when, when we train with other Southern California, you know, hoist rescue entities, and we talk about training, uh, a lot of times we'll, you know, do junk on the bunk. Hey, this is the equipment we use. This is what we use. I mean, there's 20 ways to skin a cat when it comes to the hoist world. Everybody has different equipment, yep. but we're all kind of doing it the same. Yep. And what I like to touch on, even with our guys and then other units is, you know, people will have this uh, every three months, you have to be uh, do a currency flight. And we always talk about, yeah, you can be current. You do, you know, three uh, up and downs or you do a basket up and down or a double up and you call yourself current. But does that make you proficient if that's all you've done in those three months? And the answer is no. Right. So what I like to say is, is in those three months, yeah, you're good on paper for policy, but are you ready to go out and do the uh, pickoff off a cliff face or, yeah. you know, do a capture off of moving water? The, the answer is probably no. So the point I'm trying to make is, is if you don't have budget restricting how you train, go out stay proficient in everything you do that way when you show up on that gnarly hoist rescue uh things don't get sketchy on you does that make sense absolutely um, and that is some great advice and you yeah you know like you talking like quarterly so uh every three months you're getting something and some guys and i i watch this uh in in many aspects of my career they will come in at the beginning of the quarter they'll get your three or whatever qualified proficient or sorry your currency checks and then they wait until the very end of the next quarter so now you've gone almost yeah. six months without actually doing anything and then like you said all of a sudden now you're called into that gnarly case and and it's you're like oh and i understand that some units are uh i shouldn't say some there's a lot of units and it's unfortunate that the whole staying proficient thing is budget driven and we're talking blade time, the cost of fuel, I get all that. But, uh, you know, we're fortunate here in San Diego, we don't have budget constraints like that. Yeah, we get good. enough real hoist rescues, you know, do it just being on the border and working with border patrol. They're we nice. do a lot of their rescues for them. And so we stay pretty proficient by doing real rescues. But on top of that, a guy goes, you know, on vacation for three weeks and he comes back and he goes, Hey, I want to go do a, a few ups and downs. And I want to uh, work with the basket. We go out, we have no budget constraints and we can do this all the time. And we just keep training and training. 
to stay proficient. And so everybody's dialed in. So when you go on these real rescues and they don't go as planned, because, you know, Murphy's along for the ride sometimes, <laughs> you could, you know, it could be anything. It, you know, tagline comes off when you're not expecting it or you weakly right. failed or yeah. communication, the guy's radio goes out. It, it could be any of those things. Yeah. Um, so I always like to bring up currency versus proficiency and, and anybody that wants to talk about that, I kind of throw that out there to them. What a great point too. Uh, and, and I'll say even for agencies and, you know, I've run into this as well, where you are, they are budget restricted, you know, flight time yes. or training yes. time or even overtime. Cause now you're asking guys to come in when they're off. There are things that you can do on the ground so you don't need to fly and while you're at Absolutely. work, you know, instead of flipping on the TV and watching whatever episode of whatever, or getting on the Xbox, go out and take 30 minutes and work on your conning, work on your moving in and out of the aircraft, work on putting gear on and taking gear off, get, get proficient with your gear hands on just because you can't fly. Doesn't mean you can't train. So absolutely, there's a lot absolutely. of that too. And, and people tend to forget that like, Oh, I'm only on duty for, you know, today's day one of day eight. Yeah. Take one yeah. hour out of that time and go put your gear yeah. together, you know? Yeah. Or, or go do, you know, put the APU on the aircraft on the ground yeah. and run the hoist and do your, you know, your methods, you know, booming out, booming in, deploying, um, which leads me and I'll, I'll bring up one more uh, Please do. item that is, is big with me and it's uh, hoist checklist discipline. Um, it's funny that to this day, we still, uh, run into units. Uh, we, most of us that are lucky that don't have budget constraints, we'll go to hell expo and we'll attend the hoist users conference. Goodrich puts on a good one. Yeah. Uh, APSA puts on a good one. Uh, and you still meet people that are getting new into the hoist uh, business yeah. and good for them for, for coming to these conferences. So you can uh, figure out what you need to do and put together a game plan to start a hoist rescue uh, outfit with your, your particular unit. And I still, to this day, run into people that have been doing it a while and that are just starting out that don't have a checklist or don't use one. Right. And uh, if they want to listen to me, I will tell them, I will share our checklist. We've made changes, changes on it over the years. And I explain what checklists will do for you, what checklist discipline will do for you, and what it'll save uh, in the long run, and that you don't skip any uh, steps. It doesn't matter how much of a hurry you're in, you're low on fuel, somebody's screaming on the ground, hey, checklist discipline will save you some heartache in the long run. Very much and so. Um, so I always like to throw that out that... Uh, Everybody, and I've seen 20 different hoist checklists. Yep. As long as it keeps you safe and you're not missing any steps and nobody's moving around the cabin without a tether on, right. you know, i.e. and next thing you know, somebody's departing out the open cabin door when you didn't want them to. Yep. Um, so I like to throw that out there. If you don't have one, get one. If you need an example, there's a lot of us in the industry that will share ours. And you can make changes to it to any way you like to, yeah. to fit your your particular aircraft or mission. Mm -hmm. And again, I've looked at a lot of them and you have too. 
they're all close. Some of the verbiage might be different, yeah. but it but it's the same. Yeah. So um, I always like to throw that out there too. It's kind of like one of those checklists where when you get into a helicopter and I'm going to throw the pilot side of you in there and you start going through the switches to turn on the helicopter, to fire up the helicopter. They're all about the same. You have to hit a couple switches and then you add fuel and then all of a sudden it ignites and now you have the exactly. helicopter's turning. So with the hoist side of things and rescue side of things, you're doing the same thing. We're, we're checking our aircraft cabin, we're checking all of our equipment, and then we're gonna go with the on-scene checklist. And it's super smart to do. Everybody's on the same page with everything. And when things change, you know, you go as briefed unless there's a chain and then you brief the change and then you move on. So, yeah, you know, and, and it's, it, you're, you're, you're correct. Even in the front part of the helicopter where the pilot and co-pilot or pilot and captain sit, I cannot tell you how many times one of my own guys starting a helicopter <laughs> thinks he has the checklist memorized. Either we'll try and start the uh, helicopter with the fuels off and it's not lighting <laughs> off when you, you know, and you get that quizzical look in your face, man, I should have used a checklist because yeah. I really look like a donkey right now. Uh, and the same goes with the uh, hoist rescue checklist. Okay. And there are times where, like, like you said, I've worked the front and the back and we will be, uh, you know, at the, last part of our checklist doing an orbit over the scene with our victim down there. And we're looking at the terrain yeah. and we're doing our uh, on-scene brief. There's times where if it's a newer hoist crew, you know, we have very proficient hoist crews and then sometimes we're training new hoist crews. I can tell by the way they're reading that checklist, if they're reading it really fast, if they're a little hyped up because maybe it's <laughs> their first rescue. There's times where I'll chime in from the pilot seat. Hey guys, Take it down a notch, slow down. I got plenty of fuel. That person down there already has a rescue or a uh, EMS with them. They're yeah. not going to die. Yeah. Let's take a deep breath and let's slow this down a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes I'll still do that. Yeah. Just, That's hey. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So checklist. So, but uh, just wanted to throw that one in there too. Man, that's awesome. Great advice. Great advice for everybody uh -huh. out there listening. Like that is a true statement for sure. So, absolutely but it'll keep you keep you honest keep you yeah. safe <laughs> awesome well tony i i won't take any more of your time i can't thank you enough for coming on to the real rescue podcast it has been a blast to be here with you uh i'm really excited about working with you again at our next training oh yeah Whatever oh, in yeah. this world it may be but it's going to be fun so yeah looking forward to working with you again and man i really appreciate you having me on your show i hope uh if you have any listeners, they got something out of it and uh, maybe they learned something new or uh, maybe they were just entertained by our little banter back and forth. But I uh, really appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. Anytime, my friend. And you are welcome back anytime you want. Uh, good to hear that. Thank you. Absolutely. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and as my daughters like to tell me all the time, like and subscribe. Oh yeah, I appreciate it. So I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story and would be willing to share it, 
I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else here that we talk about, please send me an email at therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. Or you can also check us out on our Instagram page at The Real Rescue, and that's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. And for all of you standing the watch today, remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, stay safe out there, everybody.